Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. This is the Western Devs Podcast, recorded Friday, October the 30th, 2015. In today's episode, the devs discuss educating and encouraging kids in programming. Boy, look here, we get something for you. Yeah! All right, welcome everybody to another podcast with the Western Devs. How is everybody doing today? Great, great. fantastic, <laughs> great. Okay, the uh, we got a full house today. We've got uh, just a list of who we have on. We've got Tom Optinorth, Donald Belcham, Amir Barilko, David West, Dave Paquette, Dylan Smith, James Chambers, myself, Kyle Belay, and a special guest, Wendy Clausen, has agreed to come back. Uh, despite her experience with the last one, or maybe because of it. Thanks for coming on, Wendy. Yeah, I always opt in for fun. <laughs> when it comes to podcasting, at least, that's my number when one When it comes pri- to the Western devs, that's the Ooh. correct answer you're supposed to say. Oh, it is? So I'm still in? Yeah. <sighs> Good. So today's topic is uh, on kids. We're going to be talking about kids and programming specifically. Should we be uh, encouraging kids to do more programming? If so, how can we do it? Are there benefits to it? Is it just uh, a hobby for them? Or do we encourage them to join the dark side with us? Um, so let's, let's kick it off with the, the, the first question. Should we be contact, uh, encouraging kids to do programming? Whose way? In the context, is it like the government, school districts, parents, developers? So I don't think developers should go to like a school and hijack kids and force them to program. Well, I I guess where we have the most influence, our own kids. Most of us here have kids or, you know, of our own or nieces and nephews. Is there a benefit to trying to encourage them to become programmers or at the very least learn how to code at some level? I think that certainly getting some exposure is important. You know, you would never know that someone is an excellent violinist or um, an excellent pianist if you don't give them at least exposure to, you know, a musical instrument or, you know, the same idea applies to other things, learning other languages, mathematics, science, those th- those things. I think if, if there's exposure and there is interest uh, demonstrated by the student, then I think it's a wonderful opportunity for them to explore that. And I think that we should, I think if, as part of our industry, I think that we should try to assist in making that happen. Well, that's an interesting uh, point you make up with the like violin and, and piano. Is it, should we look at it as another after school activity that they could take instead of piano or soccer or you know judo or something like that well even arts and sports though there's a you know for most of most of those uh categories of things there is some kind of exposure in the school through curriculum and i I think that that should that should be something that that where computer science is also uh first introduced so i'm seeing at the school that my boy goes to right now that they have what they call technology time and really, it's opening up a Chromebook or an iPad and surfing the web. And I think that if we're going to rely on school districts to make this 
initiative happen for us, we have a huge gap in knowledge for them to be able to do it effectively. It's a very good point. <laughs> excellent, excellent point. Uh, there are, however, uh, many facilities for us to be able to take advantage of things like Hour of Code, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but there are opportunities that we can make use of and and work with the schools to take part in. Wendy, you made you asked the question, "Who is we?" And I think in the context of the schools, unfortunately, at this time, most schools, probably the large majority of them, aren't internally equipped to properly introduce students to computer science or to programming, much like most schools probably don't have a virtuoso violinist capable of coming in and showing, hey, this is what violin can sound like. And the problem with just, you know, quote unquote, anyone trying to come in and teach computer programming is that that can fail miserably very quickly if, if you don't know how to keep those keep the curriculum on course, how to spot a missing curly brace, how to debug a program, things like that. Yeah, well, it could also fail miserably even if you are <laughs> teach that stuff because I certainly have seen teachers teach it pretty poorly. <laughs> so here's an amusing anecdote. Um, my son's in grade eight and he's taking a some sort of programming, I think like game programming using Sketch. And so the funny thing was in one of his classes, the teacher was up there and he showed him how to do some little programming loops in Sketch. And then he said, okay, kids, go off and do your own thing. And as he was walking around, my son went ahead and modified his routine a little bit. So it was, he said it was a bit more efficient and gave a bit more variety in how these little things move around the screen. And the teacher looked at it and said, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then 20 minutes later, when everyone was done their little bit of lab time, in-class lab time sort of a thing, he actually turned around and taught the thing that my son had just shown him. So that's, I thought it was funny because A, as the teacher, you'd sort of think, oh, maybe he would have recognized this little optimization or whatever it was my son did. I don't know. He didn't show me the code. It's so I only take his word on it. But it was, to me, incredibly amusing that this is a case of a 13-year-old kid that actually was slightly more proficient, at, at this case anyway, than his teacher. who had Could a have been pretty cool if the, if the teacher actually invited him up to teach it. Yeah, well, I was going to say that as well. That's what I told him to do. I said, next time you should uh, deliberately leave a bug in. And then when he, mess, when he introduces the bug, then you can put up your hand and, yeah. and that it, kind of a thing. It's possible he just wasn't thinking about it. You know, he was yeah. just... Well, he did actually give credit to my son at the end of the class kind of a thing. Oh, that's good. Um, so, but still, my son was pretty pleased with that, that, oh, like, look at that. I managed to show the teacher something. So I bet. And like part of it, I think, I don't know, he spends a lot of time watching me code at home. So he doesn't understand what's going on, but I that think he's poor sort of, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he swears with the best of them, I tell you. <laughs> There's this uh, little mantra that I always talk about when I'm uh, when I'm talking with teachers about how to get the kids programming and engaged. And I, and I always say that they're smarter than you think. And the reason why I say that is because once you put kids into those contexts, they're not bounded by the same kind of experience that we have. And they're not bounded by the rules of this is what I'm allowed to do, or this is how I'm supposed to do it. And they're more willing to experiment and explore, and they will find results in ways that are unexpected. And that is something that obviously your son was able to do, Tom, but I've seen that again and again in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Those kids haven't been conditioned to fear failure. <laughs> they're on their way, though, being in school. <laughs> Little boxes. Yeah, And then likewise, his friend is also similarly minded, technically speaking. The kid will probably be an engineer. 
And uh, I was talking to him. He's in grade 10 and he was, he's taking a programming course there. And it's, I think they're covering Java right now or C. And anyway, he was sort of lamenting to me sort of similar situations of, you know, the, the, the teacher is up there showing them one thing. And it must have been C because he was talking about pointers and pointer yeah. arithmetic. Oh god! And yeah, and I said they're they're teaching you that. I said that's child abuse for starters. But um, anyway, he was lamenting how the guy was doing his pointer arithmetic wrong, and he was actually co- showing them bugs as he was coding. I imagine that most school districts don't have a computer science or programming teacher, and probably have a math teacher who maybe coded back in college. And probably that's uh, yeah, probably like, what they know. I know. I know locally here, a lot of cases, the quote, the option courses, um, it's literally whatever teacher is willing to do the job. And in that case, that usually means it's a lot of probationary or teachers with temporary contracts that just want to work. So, you know, they may not know computers at all, but you know what, they can read Kernigan and Ritchie the day before and then teach the chapter the next day in class kind of a thing. And that's probably how it gets done in a lot of cases is my bet. So, mm-hmm. and not to discredit, I mean, there are some teachers out there who are making formidable efforts in in trying to at least give the exposure to the kids. But it does come back to the question is as, as to why why are we doing this? What is why is this important for kids to to learn? Wasn't it Hanselman or some other computer luminary that basically said, you know what, everyone's going to need to code in the future to some degree? I really you know, hope our future will involve no coding because <laughs> uh, so few people could do it so well. <laughs> well, maybe not necessarily coding in the sense of actually sitting down and banging out code, but like take a look, uh, like I installed a Nest thermostat recently and it's basically flummoxed my wife. She, she doesn't even touch the temperature anymore, but my kids are in there and they're constantly tweaking the settings and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. maybe that's not programming, but they're not afraid to to dive in and, um, play with the technology and experiment with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, like my one son, my younger son, again, the the, the, the nerd, um, he is more inclined to dive in and mess with stuff from a technological viewpoint than perhaps I'm comfortable with just because he's had so much exposure already to technology. Like this kid figured out how to copy pictures off a USB drive when he was four years old kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So, so, so Don, Don, are you, are you're like, you've had this negative kind of uh, experience with how your son's being exposed to quote unquote technology are, I think that experience in itself is a downside, but if we just start blanket teaching everybody to code, is there, is there something wrong with that? I think uh, I worry about that as well for some of the reasons that Tom brought up around are the people teaching it really more than a chapter ahead of the kids they're trying to teach it to. The, the one thing that I see is the reverse on our side as technologists. I, I'm sure every single one of us has seen someone come in to a group of programmers and try to teach them something, and they're horrible teachers. Um, they may be good technologists, but they're horrible teachers. And I think we have that problem in reverse. We might have good teachers, but horrible technologists in some cases. So... Um, I think that this is uh, this is something that that we're not going to find a balance for, um, and it raises the question of should we instead take the responsibility to teach the technology parts at home if we have the experience ourselves, and maybe in, uh, teach the logic related stuff at school. So, what are 
um, you know, if statements and control flow and things like that, but regardless of the technology behind it. Right. And, and I think that, 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 uh, you know, that distinction of having, you know, there's, there's the issue of having good curriculum, there's having the environment or some kind of milieu that they're able to learn in. There's also whether or not you've got a great instructor, it, it, it does come down to, and it's, it's very quick. Like when you get into chemistry, I mean, man, you better know those chemicals when you're going to start mixing them. Um, you know, that kind of thing. You can't just put anybody in there with random things and start expecting not to have smoke and toxic fumes. Much like a, there's, you can have no hope of getting an application running successfully if that, even though that's a really good instructor, if they're not equipped properly. One of the things that I've seen is in helping in the classroom is that there are teachers who would really like to have the kids doing this stuff, but when they hit one of those roadblocks, they they just can't help get them through. Uh, they can't spot why this CSS style is not being applied or this JavaScript function is not returning the yeah but can any of us do that with css <laughs> I just can. bootstrap all the things <laughs> but isn't that kind of a uh, an issue with any course that if the the teacher i mean our french teacher was ukrainian in high school and and <laughs> you know the, if you ran into some issue there it's not like he would be able to solve it any better but he was still a good teacher in the sense that you know we hung out with him that's a really good point kyle um i was thinking the same thing because when i was working um for a med school one of the things that people don't realize that also all med school teachers are doctors that's their first and foremost but they're not trained educators yet they're the ones teaching doctors how to become doctors it's a very common challenge to have a great physician that's not a great teacher um, and that's, that's a huge challenge in their area. You know, teachers are experts in teaching people, not necessarily the subject matter that doesn't really go both ways. So when James is talking about, you know, having that, the subject matter expert support the teacher, that's a good dynamic because it is important for kids to learn how to code, not necessarily because they can be software developers, but so they don't think that what's inside their computer or that Nest thermostat or whatever is magic. Because I think we all see people today that just seem to think that writing software is is a joke or it's simple. Like, oh, just make the make my magic box do a thing, yeah, and, and make the sale happen on Amazon. That's just that what takes you five minutes, <laughs> you know? Like, no, it doesn't. It it takes effort and and just the fundamental understanding that this is how you make software, even if they don't end up being programmers, um, is critical. I think, especially moving forward in such a software driven world. I totally agree with that aspect um, of just people understanding that there's this effort that takes place and it's hard and it's not just a magic box. I wish every startup founder who has no technology experience had to have that lesson and then maybe they wouldn't push developers so hard when they say, no, we can't make this that soon. <laughs> so, so Wendy, I, the, I guess the one thing that I'd, I'd probably challenge you on there, though, is that the, it doesn't always have to necessarily be hard. And there are some pretty good vehicles out there for introducing programming to younger students. Do you know in your in your area, where what age do they actually start teaching programming at? Oh, God, I don't, I have no idea. I think it probably depends on the school district. I'm not sure if there's anything specific. I'm in New York State that requires it. Um, but I... More than how to teach kids, I really, so we're, we're it's hard to teach programming, like a lot of 
that's a conversation I think for adults and children. I want to understand the value. Like what, what is the return on investment of teaching kids how to program? And then once we know what that value is, it's like, okay, well, what's the best way to create that value based on the fact that we're developers and we're talking to a development audience? I think that the, the immediate value that you can see is the following the example that Tom mentioned is to, to use it applied to something. So based on your interest, you can go, if you like music, you can go and start uh, looking into the scripts or whatever your music program is or your design programs and you want to do macros with it or whatever. If you want to see a math problem and see if you can code it. So I think that try to apply it is uh, one of the best approaches that you can have. Something that was just touched on too was the fact that you understand what goes into all of these things. You understand that the Nest thermostat has software associated with it and that it's not necessarily something that was knocked off in an afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, And that to me kind of resonates with the idea of understanding where your food comes from type of a thing to know Mm -hmm. that when you go to the grocery store and you buy those chicken breasts that they came from some process um, to grow the, uh, the chickens and then slaughter them and, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just that basic understanding, I think, is is a good thing that can come from it. Plus, with everything moving towards uh, technology, not just Nest thermostats, but you know, cars, and you know, everybody's tethered to their phone. I think it's nice to have an understanding of what's going on behind the scenes, so that uh, somebody mentioned that or Tom, I think, mentioned that his wife doesn't touch his Nest thermostat. Well the next generation, they shouldn't be afraid to to work with these things that are coming out. I think another aspect that, that nobody seems to have mentioned, right? Learning learning uh, just to have the knowledge is is, is good, right? But um, right, a lot of people in high school or whatever, they're learning stuff to open up career mm-hmm. options for them, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, one value is if you learn learn programming and technology, you now have the option to, to choose that as a, as a career path and you have the, the skills to do that. That's something that I found interesting. You guys have all been talking about how to teach kids programming, but I got a friend of mine, Etienne Tremblay in Montreal. And for the past couple of years, he's been going around and visiting a few local schools and they bring him in to talk to the students about what it's like to have a career in, in technology and kind of get them excited and considering that as a career choice, which I think is an interesting aspect too. Now, James, you uh, do teach programming to, uh, is it at the school? or just uh, separate from the school? No, it's uh, it's with the school, and it starts with students who are uh, typically age nine, and then I'm actually working with a uh, all the way up to high school, this year up to grade 12 students who are actually participating in a national robotics competition. And it's, it's uh, very interesting, you know, I, we've we've gone younger um, as we've gone through the, the process, and later this year we'll actually be starting with kids in grade one in, in doing some programming. And it doesn't have to take on the form of, you know, uh, arithmetic pointers in C++. It doesn't have to be that kind of level of, of programming. They're doing simple if-then else type scenarios using characters from popular movies and things that are relevant to them. And there are there's a context which is limited to something that a child that's six or seven years old can understand, but they're given the ability to 
just to influence the rules of the game. And for for most kids, that's you know right away you'll see whether or not it's clicking with them, whether or not they they get it. Much like some kids sit down and tap on a uh, on a piano and they just immediately take an interest in it. Now, is this part of the regular school curriculum, or it's external volunteer only? For this program, it's part of the the HALEP program in our school division. So it is during school hours. Uh, HALEP is the High Ability Learners in Education program, but it's open to all students with special interests. So in this case, it's a matter of are they are they interested in kickboxing? Are they interested in playing the uh, a xylophone or whatever the type of interest that they they're in? And they can explore that as, uh, you know, for within their age group with a variety of different instructors. And those are typically teachers or industry experts. And so I've been in there working that angle. So you said you've got a nine-year-old this year? Nine-year-old is, uh, myself, I actually have, uh, my own kids are six, 11, and 13. And they have all actually done some programming. So uh, my oldest son has apps in the Windows Store, and uh, my middle son has done, he's really big into Mindstorms with Lego. What is the, you said, I'm sorry, I missed that. The, the youngest one is into Mindstorms? What does the youngest one do for programming? My, my, the youngest one has done the, there's a few things through code.org where, for like that age group for six, seven years old, where you can go in and do things with like the the frozen characters, for example, and, and walk them through a maze. And so you actually have to write a program just using click and point and drag and drop type approach to say, this is the order of instructions that this character needs to follow in order to finish the maze. Or, and then as it progresses, there's more and more difficult levels. So as they start getting up into grade three or grade four, they can actually start doing pathfinding and to solve the maze without an explicit set of take two steps forward, turn right one step. It's now actually writing an algorithm that can explore a maze and, and find the way out. And it just as and it keeps getting more and more complicated as you go. So there's a whole host of tools that are out there for those kinds of things. I think we've got some of them mentioned um, or we should have some of them mentioned in the notes for the podcast. Right. You've mentioned Lego Mindstorms. I do Lego Mindstorms with my son. He's only five. And of course, I'm doing all the building and, and the program. Well, not all the building. Uh, all the, the programming, for sure. And for now, it's just basically this toy that he can, it's like any other Lego. It's this toy that he can take apart and, and build up something else. But it does something more substantial than just sit there like regular Lego would. Um, so I, in the programming environment, I haven't looked at it too much, but it looks like it would be uh, pretty good. At his school last year for their um, science fair, the grade six students had built some uh, Lego Mindstorm stuff, which I thought was pretty impressive. And and you've done something real, that I find is probably the best, one of the best ways to get kids interested. You You actually mixed concerns there right because you built something that solves a rubik's cube yeah the lego mindstorms the rubik's cube solver and it's uh the only reason he wanted to get the rubik's cube is because uh, i showed him this video of this thing that could solve a rubik's cube so he says dad i want a rubik's cube so i mean that that's he does play with it outside right. but it was it was pretty cool it was fun for me I, whether it was fun for him is not my fault 
I think that when you're able to take something that the child is interested in and expose them to programming through that context, that's also a really great way to do it. So, so what else? We've heard uh, Lego Mindstorms. I think somebody mentioned Scratch. What else is, are people Hopscotch. doing? Hopscotch. Hopscotch? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a platform for kids to build games, and it's targeted for a younger audience. This isn't hopscotch that I'm thinking of with on uh, the sidewalk. No, it's different. Gethopscotch.com, I think is the URL. So how does it work? I haven't looked at it in a while, but I think if you look on their website, there's like a little video. And the interesting thing about hopscotch was that it was actually developed to be appealing for girls. Uh, but what they found in their studies is that it's just appealing to everyone. Uh, and we actually had the same experience at Oxygen Media years ago when we were making software for women that men really liked all the stuff that we made specifically for women. Um, so then Hopscotch became for any kids. Another one that's, uh, I don't know how popular it is, but there's one called Kodu, which is part of the uh, Microsoft, like Microsoft pr builds it and, and, and presents it, but it's available on Xbox as well. And the interesting thing there is that now you can sit there with a game controller and use a Lego kind of building blocks environment that you're actually interacting with. And you can use the controller and build a game out as you explore the environment and add conditions and uh, program enemy AI and all of these different types of things. You can make a wide variety of games. It is specifically for games or challenges, mazes, puzzles, that kind of uh, programming style or um, end result. But that's another interesting one as well that my kids enjoy. That reminds me of this game I had, this, this program I had for the Commodore 64. I think it was called the Adventure Construction Kit. I can't remember how old I was when I got it, like 13, 14. And we bought it when we were in Calgary and we lived in Manitoba. So all the way home, me and my brothers had mapped out this really cool game that we were going to build with this adventure construction kit. And I got home and installed it and the thing was freaking hard as hell. I couldn't figure out how to work it. I couldn't figure out how to make anything go. And I sure as hell wasn't going to make some mountain man jump over a gorilla and kick the gorilla in the ass after to finish the boss level like I wanted it to. So I guess it's probably progressed somewhat since then. When I got first introduced to programming, uh, I, I was uh, put in front of Logo, and I tried that with my boy about a year ago now. Um, oh, Turtle, Logo. Yeah, turtleacademy.com, and you can go in and do anything Logo in the browser. Um, he didn't take to it, and I wondered if that's because they're so exposed to cooler technology than a little white triangle and a black background. Um, you know, that was really cool for me as a kid because, well, I'm old and there wasn't much stuff then. Um, but for nobody him, else was doing that, right? Sorry? Nobody else was doing that. You, you didn't see that anywhere else. Yeah, no, it was, this was completely new cutting edge type of stuff. Whereas, you know, my boy, he picks up a phone and, Look at how awesome Flappy Bird looks compared to Logo even. So I wonder if um, the the things that we introduce kids to technology with have changed that dramatically from my childhood to my boy's childhood. I think that's a good theory. 
there was that wow factor when we had logo in the class. I started before uh, my exposure to logo with the Commodore Vic twenty. Vic twenty, uh, and I still have the Vic twenty manual on my desk. I keep it. I, I still have that with me. But my um, my first exposure to logo, we also had the turtle that actually sat on a big piece of paper. So you rolled out a big piece of paper, and then you would attach the turtle to the joystick port on the Commodore sixty four. And you'd use logo, and you'd write your program and make a design. And it even had different pen colors, right? And seeing this thing was like mind boggling as a kid. And you're just looking at this and going, like, I actually made this happen. And there was this really tangible output that was something that other people weren't doing, as you mentioned, Kyle and and uh, Don. And I think the thing is now, and you definitely alluded to it, Don, is that we, the kids have just seen so much that having a little like bubble, write color shapes on a piece of paper probably just isn't that interesting anymore. Yeah. For them, the cool stuff is 3D printing and uh, virtual reality headsets and stuff like that, probably more so than what we ever had. I know one of the things that my son is uh, looking forward to in his little programming courses. I guess they're actually going to start in Unity towards the end of this end of the year. Did you I say nudity? Unity. Unity. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> which which actually kind of surprised me because I was like, "Well, that seems a Freaking bit." Freaking liberal government already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, that's just sort of me. Seemed a bit more involved than I would expect a thirteen-year-old kid. But then I'm like, "Well, maybe not. I don't know. I guess we'll see how it goes." But now that probably means I have to bone up a bit on Unity so that I can help him with his homework when he gets there. But this isn't a bad thing. Like you do with biology. (laughs) (laughs) So these are the parts we're going to edit out now, right? The the off-color jokes that will follow. Unity is is another great one for kids who have the capacity to do it. My, the group of students that I had been mentoring for three or four years, there's a group, a small group of them who've now completed the Unity tutorials. There's a couple of introductions to create a first game where you have a platform and some walls around it. And you're actually writing C-sharp code and you're actually introducing objects and all kinds of really relevant programming concepts to these to these kids and it, it's amazing to see them do it at such a you know i was not doing that when i was 12. what about uh just regular hobbies and activities that uh, could fall under the banner of uh, teaching programming and code to kids anybody doing anything uh well again i know my younger son whenever i pull up my arduino stuff and start messing around with that he's pretty interested um you know, he doesn't necessarily get what I'm doing, but he'd always ask a lot of questions and stuff like that. So I've wondered about that with Arduino and, and Raspberry Pi. What are some of the things that you can do that would be interesting to kids? Has anybody heard of any good projects? Simple circuitry seems to get my boy's interest when I pull mine out. Just look, you can make a light do this. Yep. And he thinks that's awesome. Yep. And then getting there, you're sort of teaching a little bit about uh, electronics, right? So, you know, electrical, electrical flow, currents, resistors, capacitors, that kind of a thing, which I know when I was 12 or 13, I didn't really understand any of that. So by 12 or 13, you mean hours ago, right? (laughs) Well, we had the old Radio Shack electronics, 150 piece electronics kits, you know, that, uh, that in my day, those were the kids that got beaten up. I mean, I did not get beaten up much. (laughs) I saw Scott Hanselman is doing a blog series. Him and his kid, uh, they he got a 3D printer, right? And they're printing out all the pieces to build a quadcopter. And I assume at some point there'll be like an Arduino or something in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, my, like cool. my son is bugging me to get a 3D printer too. So and I'm, I'm half tempted just because I can sort of see a bit of a an instructional use behind it. I'm really curious to see what he would make with it and that kind of a thing and where he would take it. So we're talking a lot about kids who have a propensity for this or, or at the very least a latent interest in it. But what about having it taught in schools as like a regular course, not necessarily an elective, but something that they have to learn? Do you think there's any value in that? I'm a bit biased, but I probably say it wouldn't hurt just to introduce kids to technology. Um, maybe not necessarily programming per se, but just kind of here's technology, here's the different pieces that can interact. Um, you know, like imagine, actually uh, even a real life story here again is setting up a Bluetooth device on your phone, on your car, right? When you buy a new car, the salesman do it for you because I'm sure the, the experience there is that most people are totally confused and afraid of trying to pair their Bluetooth device, you know, their, their phone or whatever to their car. So, you know, it's a simple process. It's just people don't understand the bits and pieces and how they all work, right? So maybe just introducing people to the technology and the concepts would be a better focus than programming per se. I think also that adding uh, to that, Tom, uh, how to search on Google. <laughs> because Let me every, that for you. <laughs> every time my daughter comes with, with says, yeah, look, look what I found. And it's always Wikipedia. Can we get that course for Dylan too? <laughs> Thank you for saying that out loud. We'll, we'll include him in the curriculum. I don't need Google. I have you guys to search for me. Remedial Google for Dylan Smith. But how to search uh, for terms and how to look at the results and cross compare them to see which source can can be the uh, uh, the more accurate and not only stop on the first one, right? And and when you need to search more than one term or things like that, I think that uh, to, to teach that and see how they do it will be very useful. That's an interesting uh, point, Amir, because it does seem, everybody's had stories where somebody says, I've searched Google for hours and hours, and you do one quick query and, you know, up pops the result. It seems like there is a little bit of art to figuring out what you specifically want to ask about. Totally. And I'm not trying to also to say uh, that kids shouldn't uh, have this ingenuity and, and just say whatever they want. But many times I would tell my daughter, uh, did you Google that before? Like when she says, comes with the fact that we all know it's crazy. And I would say, did you try to, to search for it first? Like to know if this is true or not, or whatever people say, say no, no, all my friends are saying it, and and that seems to be enough to to set it a, a, as a truth. These are the people that start using TFS. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that would go a long way, Amir, to um, curing the, the the Facebook repost every mindless piece of garbage and claptrap you see just because your friends seem to be posting it. Kids aren't on Facebook anyway, so that's probably just going to go away over time. Well, no, but you got to instill the the foundation, the, the foundation for critical thinking now, kind of a thing, right? Like a lot of the stuff I see on Facebook, I read it. I'm like, I oh, come wonder on. about that. If, you got to have half a brain to your, believe this. Teaching your kid logic and 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 critical thinking is is good for this world. It's just setting them up for pain later on. 
Life is pain. Well, I didn't mean to take such a defeatist uh, turn here, but I, I want to explore that what Amir said about teaching Google. Are there any kind of other soft skills that we could help kids, not even if they're not really interested in technology, but will help them because they're just kind of universal. They are going to need them. Yeah, well, programming is really just pro- problem solving, like we're doing it in code. And as kids get older in this generation, they're they're going to be solving these problems with different kinds of tools when they get older. So it's a hard question to answer for me. I do know that um, my husband and I own a coffee. We're, we roast coffee and have a cafe. And we employ a lot of people in the 18 to 21 year range. And they're all horrible with technology. Like they're really good with their phones and they know how to check their email. But the moment anything goes wrong or off at all, it's just like they have, they couldn't reset a router. (laughs) So it's very interesting. They're so comfortable with technology and yet they're not comfortable with technology at all. It sounds like the general sense of entitlement from that age. That they don't, they don't <laughs> really want to bother. Yeah, there's the not really want to bother, but it's even, it's slightly different, which we definitely have dealt with that. <laughs> That's a completely different conversation. It's the incentive they have. They're, they have lots of incentive to check their phone, right? So they, they will learn it or whatever they need to, to overcome that. But when you say, okay, let, let's look at this router. I don't think their friends are doing that at all. No, well, I just mean it's more of like a general interest in technology. Like for us, our technology was so limited. So it's like we really need to build a lot of tools. Like I built my first computer. I, we had to do a lot of things manually. So we got that reward that Joy, someone else brought up before. Like you teach them how to do something like and then they could look up music and find something that's interesting. But now their tools are already made for them and they can pretty much do whatever they want to do already. Technology is so, just a means to an end at this point for a lot of the things they do. Yeah. It's like a car. You know, I don't know really how my car works. I use my car. I love my car. I really like cars, but I, I don't know much about engines or transmissions. And that's kind of like how it is for kids. Right. But can you pair your phone to your car? Can I what? Can you pair your phone to your car over Bluetooth? Yes, I can. And I could fill it up with gas. Are you looking for help, Tom, or something? Because you're bringing this up a lot. <laughs> I have it had just... trouble pairing Bluetooth devices in the past. I have to say, I have this speaker system, and it just seems like the phone doesn't want to be found. It's elusive. <laughs> so another one that I see as a soft skill that could use some uh, extra education time is just general logic. Not necessarily, you know, life logic or things like that but what does it mean when you have if else or looping or things like that i don't remember ever getting that in any of my classes in school but that's something that transcends technology as a skill yeah well didn't you get that in math class well i I went to a really bad school apparently i I didn't get that either not at all i mean I would totally agree with that. The logic, the problem-solving ability you get out of programming is 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 great. It's a huge skill, I think. That well, that's, that's, that's overshadowed. What, that's what our job is: is to solve prob- like to solve problems. Like the programming, the coding, is like the tool that we use to solve the problems. But it's it's all about prop thinking and finding patterns and abstract thinking. 
And those are great skills for anyone to have. No, one thing that just to take a bit of a side turn to that, like uh, like Dylan's friend there that he told before, I've gone to a, a high school or two and, and they've invited me down to talk about what it is to be a computer scientist in, in terms of career. And the first question I got um, was, how do I use what I learned in this class to make a game? And I, I find that an interesting, I've heard that question probably a thousand times over of seeing those links between the, what game design is versus what programming is. And, I, and I'm curious on if you guys have seen anything like that as well, because I find it interesting because design is a, is a very, very different skill versus what we do with programming, because I think we could all get our way through coding a game, but actually doing the softer stuff like usability and, and level design and stuff like that. Do you guys have any experience with, with, with teaching kids that kind of difference between the soft skills required to do things that are implemented in software? And... I have trouble teaching adults uh, the difference between that. I mean, especially out here where the predominant programming jobs are, how do you build me a website? And it's like, can you build me a website? I'm like, no, I can't design my way out of a paper bag. But you give me a website, I can link it up to your shopping cart and, and you know, hook up PayPal and do all this stuff, hook it up to a database. But I can't design anything. So I know one uh, one of my friends, his son wants to be a game programmer. And it was his lifelong dream. And so he actually said, well, why don't you go talk to Tom about it kind of a thing. And I probably ended up crushing the child's hopes of any kind of productive <laughs> <on> future. <laughs> but he literally had this vision of, well, yeah, it'll be just like on Christmas Day when you open the box and you sit and you play this game all day. Mm-hmm. And that was literally his conception of this is what game designers, game programmers do. And I said, well, actually, no. I said, imagine it'll be kind of like that. Someone will give you the game and say, play it and test it. But you'll have to stay only in this one scene of the game. Mm-hmm. So, And you'll do that for days on end. So you're only playing the one part of the game forever, effectively. Yeah, so I remember I used to want to make a video games until I took like a 3D rendering class or something like that. And I was like, okay, I do not want to make video games even a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not my, my thing. I like to play video games though. Yeah. And that's literally what a lot of kids think though, is the games are fun to play. So it's obviously going to be this much fun to, to do this for a living. It's pretty easy to crush their dreams of it by telling them what the work conditions are like and things like that as well. So, well, yeah. I touched on that too. Yeah, I mentioned that a lot of the the video game shops have horrible reputations, right? Because they're basically sweat sweatshops that have very high high demands, very high expectations, and that kind of a thing. Yep. And he kind of sort of understood that, but I mean, he's ten years old, right? So he doesn't get it that being in the office for ten, twelve hours a day, six days a week, seven days a week sucks. Yeah. Well, but with technology changing so much like that, that tool hopscotch that actually does let kids make their own game. Like it may be actually possible that when he grows up, game creation will be a different animal than what we have now. God, we can only hope so. <laughs> I think one interesting, just as I to tie it up, um, one of the things I told that high school class was they were learning Java and they said, I don't understand any games in Java. How can I apply this? And I just used, you know, Minecraft is this cool thing. I, I heard it's going to pick up anytime soon now. But the making mods in Minecraft is something that a lot of, apparently, a lot of younger people are doing just because they can mod their own Minecraft servers, which gets them kind of thinking in that I can tinker with something that I can play with, almost like the Lego idea. That's how I kind of interpret it. I've never done it myself, 
but I know a lot of uh, some of the kids in that class had done it and it was just a thing that they were able to pick up and just apply their skills to, but it was a bit of a shift because the teacher couldn't help them with it. Very different beast than what they were learning. All right. So it sounds, we had a really good discussion here. It sounds like we've uh, covered off a lot of things on, on how to raise the next generation of technologists. We've uh, talked about advantages, disadvantages, and uh, ways that we can encourage them either through Mindstorms. Uh, we didn't really co cover off Hour of Code too much, but that's a, another good option. I know a bunch of people on this list have uh, gone through it and helped some of their schools and people in their areas. All right. Thanks very much, Wendy, for joining us. Uh, it, was, it was great to have you on again. She left already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we left a great well, impression. We'll see how that goes with inviting you back. <laughs> All right. Well, the rest of you guys, uh, I couldn't really care less about, so... <laughs> <laughs> Don't sugarcoat it, Kyle. Tell us what you really think. Uh, I like Kyle's honesty. It's so dream crushing. <laughs> Just like game design. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed appropriate. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you again next week. All right. Thanks. Are we going to do one next week with uh, Summit and all that happening? It doesn't matter. I'll say next week, and it's not like we lied, haven't lied before about that. I don't like to lie to the public, Kyle. <laughs> Is this part of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> You're just making my editing job a lot harder. Or you all. could just leave it in behind the scenes at Western Devs. We all bicker. Oh, I'll do the blooper reel. <laughs> yeah, We're no still first. recording. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Well, nobody said goodbye yet. Bye, Kyle. Goodbye, Kyle. There.